Children may be dismissed to Children's Church. And as they go, I invite you to find the book of John in your Bible or in a pew Bible if you don't have a Bible with you. Though we are actually going to be bouncing around to a lot of scriptures for a few moments here. In preparation for coming to the Lord's table, uh, partaking in communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, however you're used to hearing it, um, I want to remind you of four simple truths, four simple biblical truths about abiding in Jesus. The first of which is going to be in John chapter 15. We'll read the first 11 verses. This is a famous passage, a famous teaching of Jesus's. John 15, beginning at verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit, By itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There is a lot that can be said about the biblical principle of abiding in Jesus, which is a weird phrase, abide in a person. But this is a very important, this is a very important uh, strand of thought in the Bible, abiding in Jesus. And much more can be said about it than these four points that I'm going to share with you. But these are the four for us this morning. So the first thing I want you to remember as we walk together towards the communion table, abiding in Jesus is essential to spiritual life and fruitfulness. Abiding in Jesus is essential to spiritual life and fruitfulness. Essential, not optional. It's not an add-on. It's not something that some Christians can abide in Jesus And thrive, and other Christians can not abide in Jesus and thrive. There is no thriving apart from abiding in Jesus. Now, what does it mean to abide? Just what you would think. It means to stay, it means to remain. Remain in Jesus, stay in Jesus. Like a branch has to stay and remain connected to the tree to be able to grow and live. Have any of the storms knocked branches off of your trees? That branch falls into your yard, it's going to die. It's going to dry up, shrivel up, die. 
It's not going to start growing new limbs and leaves. It's going to die because it was disconnected from its source of life. Jesus Christ is our one and only source of life as Christians and as the church. So if we do not abide in him, we will die. Spiritually, we will shrivel up as individuals and as the church. So he uses this analogy of a vine. I doubt any of you work with vines. I don't think there's any vine dressers in here. But we all work with power outlets. So a more modern uh, interpretation of this would be that Jesus is the outlet and we are the appliance. If we're not plugged in to Jesus Christ, we are a lifeless, inanimate object, spiritually speaking. Now, I know a lot of our electronic devices have batteries now, so you're not tethered to a cord if you want things to have power now, but we have no such battery device, spiritually speaking. There is no life apart from being plugged in to Jesus Christ, okay? So that's the first thing I wanted to remind you of. Abiding in Jesus is essential to spiritual life and fruitfulness. If you're spiritually dry, if you're spiritually shrinking, check to see if you're plugged into Jesus Christ. I have an IT friend who told me that um, when he gets a call that a computer or something's not working right, the first thing he asks them to do is unplug it and plug it back in. Not because that actually does anything, but because he doesn't want to insult their intelligence by saying, did you look to see if it's plugged in? And he said, you would be shocked at how many times they'll get back on the phone and say, oh, that fixed it. But he knows there's nothing that's going to fix it by unplugging it, plugging it back in. It's just that it had come unplugged. If you are spiritually dwindling, check to make sure you're plugged in to Jesus Christ and not, I don't mean plugged into church. Church is not Jesus. Church and Jesus are separate entities. You can plug into church and not be plugged into Jesus, plugged into church and still shrivel and die spiritually. We must plug into Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing, abiding in Jesus is a central function of the church. Abiding in Jesus is a central function of the church. It is central to what the church has historically always done. Is simply abiding in Jesus. Now, we had a really good deacon meeting this week. And we talk about our church and we pray about our church and you know, we look around and we see, I mean, you can look around and see there's many folks missing and we pray, well, we just, we need to make sure we're clear on what the Lord wants us to be doing as a church. You know, we don't want to knee jerk reaction, jump into just trying to do some stuff to stir up excitement or stir up attendance. And I'm so proud of our deacons because they, they all just said, well, you know, we just want to look back into the scripture and remember what is our purpose? What are we to be doing? And so I was so charged up that night. I went home and that night decided I'm going to, with no other books, you know, no other, nothing but just me and the scripture and the Holy Spirit, which is supposed to lead us into all truth. I'm going to start with Revelation. I don't know why I chose to do it this way. Start with Revelation and work backwards, book by book through the New Testament and just write down anything I could see about what the church was doing, should be doing, what God told the church through these authors. And so I've, I've been working my way, you know, it takes a long time to, to do a project like that. But what surprised me is the picture that, that shows, first off, the backdrop for everything is 
men and women who truly believe in Jesus Christ and truly are trying to follow him as their Lord, as individuals. That's sort of the assumption for church. So that's the backdrop of everything. But in terms of what God was saying specifically to the churches that they should be about, I was surprised that pretty much the number one thing in those books in the back half of the New Testament is just hang in there. Just hang on. Just abide in Jesus. Just don't give up the faith in Jesus. It happens a lot. I was going to share a couple of the the verses that I found. In Revelation, Jesus talks specifically to several churches. And in there, he, he praises the church in Ephesus for their patient endurance. He says, I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up my name's sake and not growing weary. He chastises them for abandoning their first love. He encourages a, a church in the face of uh, tribulation and poverty and slander and spiritual warfare and imprisonment, all the really hard things. Be faithful unto death. He praises the church in Pergamum against intense spiritual battle. He says, you hold fast to my name. You haven't denied my faith. It seems to be one of the, if God has a checklist when he looks at a church, it seems to be at the top. Are they holding fast? Are they sticking in there? Are they believing in Jesus Christ and not turning from that to anything else? He goes on, I could read a bunch from that section in Proverbs, but he just tells them, hang on, be patient, endure, just stay connected to Jesus. Don't let the winds blow you away. In Jude, he tells them to contend for the faith that was once given to them as though you've got to fight to keep it or it will be wrestled away from you. In 1 John, he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. In 1 John 2.27, he says, God's anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. Just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Because when he comes, it'll be obvious if we have been abiding in him or not. And those of us who have not been abiding in Jesus Christ but been doing something else will shrink in shame because it'll be so obvious that we were just doing other stuff. We were, Whether it's churchy stuff or secular stuff, we were just doing other things. We weren't abiding in him. Because everyone, this is in Second John, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. You see, the flow of life and culture, even within the church, is not toward Jesus Christ, it's away from Jesus Christ. We will naturally drift away from Jesus Christ if we're not fighting the current. If you are not, your eyes locked on Jesus, trying to abide in him, trying to stay in him, trying to remain in him, you will drift away from him. There is no neutral ground where you can stand still. You're either drifting away or you're clinging to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to read any more. I've got a bunch. Abiding in Jesus is essential to spiritual life and fruitfulness. 
And abiding in Jesus is a central function of the church. This is key to what, what we're about, is helping each other hang in there. Keeping each other reminded to look to Jesus, believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, hang on to Jesus. The third thing I want to remind you of, abiding in Jesus is believing in Jesus. It's an abstract concept, abide in Jesus, in a person. But I believe biblically, abiding in Jesus just means believing in him and not losing that faith. I want to read to you John chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Belief is is the, the gripping hand on Jesus Christ, not activity. It's belief. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 6, starting at 25. This is right after he fed the 5,000. And crowds of people were just like, man, this guy is amazing. He just fed all these people from this little tiny bit of food. And they're following him, and he's actually kind of trying to withdraw from them. And it says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, Truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. These were physically just hungry people. And they thought, we'll follow Jesus and maybe there'll be some more food. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me, I, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And the teaching goes on, and he keeps reminding them, you're hungry, spiritually believe in me. You want to be connected to me for eternal life? Believe in me. Transfer your trust into me. This word for believe isn't isn't what you might think of blind leaping of faith. It's believing because you've been persuaded. It's clear thinking. Belief is actually thinking about all this stuff about Jesus and deciding if you believe it or not. And if you believe it, really believing it. And putting your full trust in it. Truly following him as Lord. Truly resting in him as your Savior. Not vaguely being associated with church things. 
So abiding in Jesus is essential to spiritual life and fruitfulness. Abiding in Jesus is a central function of the church. Abiding in Jesus is believing in Jesus. The last thing I want to remind you of before we go to the table. Abiding in Jesus is the purpose of communion. Abiding in Jesus is the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Abiding in Jesus is the purpose of the Eucharist. You know, further down in this same passage I was just reading to you, Jesus talks more about himself being the bread of life. I am the bread of life, he says in verse 48. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? We're not cannibals. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, yes, he says that. Let the bizarreness of that statement sink in. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. I mean, I think he's purposefully being gross and, uh, not vulgar, what's the word? Gory. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, passages like this have led some throughout history to think that when we, when we pass these elements out and you partake in them, it actually physically transforms into Jesus Christ's flesh and blood. Now, we don't believe that. That's called transubstantiation. That's not something we believe. Uh, in the Reformation, we split away from the Catholic teaching on that. But I think that the case can be made, and I'm convinced, that historically, us trying to remove ourselves from that image, that this bread and this wine actually becomes real blood and real flesh, I think we've moved too far away when what Jesus always taught was that there really is Jesus really is especially present at the communion table, somehow. I don't understand it. It's mysterious to me. But you cannot escape the scriptural teaching that there's something about what we do with this bread and this drink, that Jesus really is especially present with us. His presence is especially known to us at this table. And through these these reminders that we have to consume Jesus' flesh. We have to receive the full benefit of his flesh's destruction on the cross in order to abide in him. We have to receive the full benefit of his spilt blood in order to abide in him and he in us. Through this memorial, ritual, meal, we are reminded of these things in such a tangible way that we are helped to abide in him and him in us. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, 
Paul is teaching the church about the Lord's Supper, how we should go about it. And he reminds them that when Jesus first did this, he said, he gave thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in this current that's always dragging us away from Jesus Christ, when we come to the Lord's table, it's, it's the reminder that we desperately need. Isn't it interesting that Jesus prescribed this method for staying connected to him and remembering what he's done? It's not just preaching. It's not just teaching. It's not even just reading the Bible. Jesus wanted us to do this as often as we come together. And for years, all, almost all of church history, for 1,500 years, this table was the climax of every worship service. It wasn't the, it wasn't the preacher. It was coming to the Lord's table. That was the culmination. That was the climax of gathered worship. And it's such a humble thing because none of us can boast about that. You know, if I preach an amazing sermon and people are reconnected to Jesus, people might say, man, Matt preached an amazing sermon. But if through just partaking of these elements, God reconnects you to Jesus Christ, it's just that God is awesome. It's just that just remembering what Jesus did is awesome. It's just that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. So this is no peripheral part of our worship. This is central to who we are, what we're about to do. I invite you, as we pass these little elements, these meager things, to not look at them with your physical eyes, but with spiritual eyes. One writer has said that the communion elements are not opaque, they're transparent. You know, opaque is like, this is opaque, you can't see through this. But transparent is like those windows. You can see through that. And he says the communion elements spiritually are not opaque. They're not just inanimate objects. They're transparent windows into a very real spiritual reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Look at them that way. I've been praying that we could see them with spiritual eyes so we could look through them so that we could be connected with Jesus so that we could abide in him and he can abide in us. And if you'll pray with me, I want to ask the Lord to bless us in that way now. And then after that, I'll invite the men to come forward to, to serve the elements. Let's pray. Father, we submit to your word and the truth therein that we are spiritual husks apart from living, abiding connection to Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for grafting us in to your son. Lord, now as we go about this humble, obedient practice of the Lord's Supper, Lord, I pray that deeper, invisible, but very real spiritual realities would be at work and that people would be convicted of and freed from their sin and that those who are disconnected from Jesus Christ would be connected so that those who are connected to Jesus Christ would be strengthened to abide and to hang on and to hang in and to refocus. Thank you for giving us this practice. We do it gratefully. And not just because Jesus died for our sin, but because he rose and he's alive and he's with us. May we feel and experience his presence right now. In Jesus' name, amen.